You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 100. On today's show, I chat with lighting designer Carl Faber about how to advocate for your own financial wellness. We discuss an easy way to get a picture of your finances, the importance of a will, and how to create a financial plan. We then review past episodes talking about Dave Ramsey, LinkedIn, iBonds, and I learned something new about Roth IRAs. If you are a patron, thank you. Because of you, Artistic Finance has created more than 100 hours of content. We have provided answers to financial questions, connected freelancers to tax professionals, helped open retirement accounts, and taught about investing. And we've given more than $1,000 to support artists and arts organizations. Today's show is in honor of you, the patrons. As per usual, you can access your bonus episode at patreon.com slash artistic finance. Carl and I discuss bonds, reverse budgeting, and a big tip for young theater designers or anyone starting out in any industry. Without further ado, let's get to show 100. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel. This is being recorded on May 7th, 2022. Today, I'm welcoming lighting designer Carl Faber to the show. Welcome, Carl. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. And the reason that Carl is on the show today is there's the first obvious fact that he is a freelance theater designer, um, but there's more to it than that. Carl is a patron of Artistic Finance. Once Carl became a patron, he started messaging me after various episodes. It wasn't corrections per se, but it was yes, and what about this or this? And you didn't mention X, Y, Z. That's when I realized that the people who listen to this show are wicked smart and very financially literate. I even told Carl, I was like, you know what? The wrong one of us is hosting this show. (laughs) I have learned so much just from Carl asking me questions. And I'm so excited to have you here, Carl, because now I get to share some of that feedback. Carl, you don't know this, but this is actually episode 100. Oh, wow. I was curious if I was going to be 100 or not, but all right. (laughs) And it just seemed too perfect. I was like, lighting designer, loves talking about freelancing and finances. And so I'm super excited. Now, there's a lot more to Carl, but I'm going to let him tell us about it. Carl, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Most of the time, I'm a lighting designer, like you said. Uh, I design plays, musicals, dance, opera, I do some immersive work, uh, design on cruise ships, uh, corporate events. I do a lot of different things. My career is pretty um, diversified. So it's mostly lighting, uh, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes I'll design websites. I've designed my own websites. I've designed some websites. I've taught. I do some guest artist work at schools. I sometimes make video, video content. I've done a lot of touring uh, with some rock shows. Uh, I've also assisted, done some work as a stage electrician. I started out doing all that when I lived in New York. I still do a fair amount of assisting in electrics work, even now, uh, 20 years later in my career. So, but it's kind of all over the board. It's, I would say it's mostly lighting, uh, but it's, it's a lot of other stuff in between. That's awesome. And I stalked you a little bit, your <laughs> internet Broadway database profile. Uh-oh. Uh, how, how, how many Broadway shows did you assist on? I worked on Book of Mormon. I worked on the, the Broadway show and then uh, two of the tours. 
nine to five, uh, the musical for a couple weeks. I, I filled in. Phil Rosenberg was out for a couple weeks. So I think I filled in for him on that. I worked on August Osage County when it moved into the Imperial. I forget exactly where it was, it was basically making way for Billy Elliot. And so I helped uh, helped move that over and uh, and bloody bloody Andrew Jackson I worked on that one, too. So, yeah. Amazing. All right. Can you describe your demographics for yeah, us? Yeah, sure. So um, white, male, he, him pronouns, very close to 40. Not quite yet, but I'm getting there. Uh, I'm married. I have two kids. I have a four-year-old and um, a seven weeks yesterday. My oldest is Samuel. Uh, my youngest is Bastien. My wife's French. And so we we wanted to find names that sounded great in both English and French. I have a BA in, um, in drama, minor in architectural history from Vassar. Um, didn't get an MFA. Born in Los Angeles, moved to Portland uh, for high school. Uh, I spent four years in upstate New York at Vassar. Then moved to uh, New York City, where I spent eight years, and then moved back to Portland in 2014. Um, and that's sort of where I've been based out of uh, ever since. All right, Carl, uh, your artistic personality here. What is a live event you like to experience as an audience member or a piece of art that you like? Yeah, I mean, I'm a theater designer, so I, I love I love going to theater. I love musicals. I love live music. Um, I, I'm inspired a lot by studio art pieces, by, by physical art pieces. So light artists, James Terrell. Dan Flavin, Olafur Eliasson. There's a compound that Donald Judd has in Marfa in Texas, which is a, a, a site-specific installation that I just absolutely love. These, these gigantic cubes in a field and anything that's got sort of like a integrating the natural environment with some other artistic piece, um, land art, or if it's particularly lighting related, I'm, I'm really interested in that kind of stuff, so. Amazing, all right, so now financial personality, are you good or bad with money? <laughs> I love this question, Ethan. I, it's so funny. Every time you ask uh, guests this, I always get a little bit of a chuckle. Everybody's always a little shy about it. Like, well, I think I'm this, I think I'm that. And I was like, I should be really confident when I come on. And I'm just, I'm absolutely not going to be confident about it. I, I, th <laughs> I would say that like, I'm like pretty good with money. Part of that goodness of being good with money is that I'm comfortable not having a lot of it. You know, like I work in a creative industry, we don't have a ton of money. And I think for a lot of people that creates anxiety. And I, I think it does for us just like it does for anyone. Generally though, like I'm pretty thoughtful. I'm pretty responsible when it comes to money. I like to push myself to make like smart choices when it comes to money. So I, I try to research. I try to sort of do my homework. I try to ask the colleagues and friends and family who have experience with money, try to ask them questions and try to make good choices. So in, in that sense, like, I guess I'm good with money. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not like sitting here, you know, I'm not, I'm not recording this from the Bahamas, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, our, our bank balance, like I would say like our cash flow is pretty low. Um, but because we have some, we have a fair amount of money in retirement, we have some money in, in, in other sort of assets, you know, I, I think we, we feel there are ways in which we feel lucky and comfortable, but I think on like a day-to-day -day cash level, like, you know, like with most, most artists, um, there can be anxiety when you have low months or low years, like the last couple of years have been. Um, so I'm wondering if you can describe your financial personality. So sort of a, a 360 degree view of your financial situation. Yeah, definitely. As I was thinking about this, because I, I thought we might sort of go down this path about talking about a financial personality. And I realized it's actually kind of challenging to do, um, to do that. I, I don't know about you, but like, I, I think of like, you know, the one or two credit cards in my wallet and like my bank account. And I'm like, I guess that's it. And, and actually, I think for a lot of people, um, particularly if you're in the union or um, particularly if you have a family, there's, there's a lot of components that go into like your sort of financial 
personality or, you know, what goes into like your net worth, for example. So I actually had to do a little bit of thinking here. And so there are three, I think, tools that I think are really helpful for people if they're ever curious about what their financial personality is. The first is um, I I use a website called personalcapital.com. I don't work for them, I promise. Um, And full disclosure, if you set up an account for them, like someone from there might call you, but the service that they offer is totally free. And they offer this um, net worth dashboard where basically you can put in all the different... um, accounts that you have, assets, liabilities. So if you have any loans, you can put all that in there. And, and it just keeps an overview of a live accounting of, of your current net worth. And I found that really useful, both as a place to keep track of all the different accounts that I have, but also to sort of get a snapshot in any given time of like, ah, this is what it is. I, you know, we have, we have these kind of loans, we have these assets. It's kind of like, it's a helpful sort of thing to be able to do a lot. A lot of people do this on a uh, on like an Excel document or something like that. Every year they sort of calculate calculate their net worth. Those sort of online calculators are really helpful because then you can get a snapshot at any time. So a lot of people, uh, when I say a lot of people, I mean, I started on mint.com, which is now in- Intuit. And it's the same idea of you can put in your loans and your credit cards and it sort of just keeps track and gives you a simple total. But that's only so customizable. And so if you really you know stick with this and you want to sort of, add in little expenses or, or things that Mint doesn't allow for, um, you sort of have to shift over to personal capital. You don't have to, but like that's what happened with me. And I know we've had previous guests that also uh, use personalcapital.com. Again, no affiliation. I don't have any affiliate links or anything, but it's more customizable than Mint. I think it's been a great tool and like, you know, and, and again, it's totally free and, you know, like once or twice a year, someone calls me and I just either ignore it or I say nice things to the person that calls. And I think they mostly, part of what personal capital does, I think is that they're an investment company. So you can, you can open up some accounts or some, you know, they can give you some advice or something like that. I don't need any of that. I don't want any of that. I just want the dashboard and it's totally free. So um, I'd recommend that for people who are in that kind of position and want something with a little bit more like granular detail. So that's the first thing I recommend for people who are trying to do this. Uh, The second thing, kind of morbid, but if you're, um, if you're in the situation where you need to put together a will, you're sort of, you have a family, you want to make sure that your family's taken care of. We, we did this when we had our first son, we put together a will and a letter of instruction. And basically what the letter of instruction and a will does is it basically just says like, if I'm not here, here's where everything is and like how to access it. But it was really actually helpful to me to put, put down all that information and say like, this is here, this is here, this is how to access this. This is the password to this. I mean, it's all like handwritten and in a binder. Like it's very analog for me. It's in this book right here, Ethan, that you can see. (laughs) But it's something that's really valuable. It's really helpful for me to be able to access like, oh yeah, there is that like 401k that I opened 10 years ago that I never contribute to. Like that's there also. Um, It's important to keep track of that. So there's that. And then finally, um, a financial plan. People say like, I know I should make a financial plan or I've heard that I should make a financial plan, but it's so daunting. It's so scary. I feel like I have to conform to like, a set, you know, structure or the way a book tells me to write it. I, I, I don't believe any of that stuff. I think a financial plan can be as simple um, as you want it to be. We, my wife and I, we have a financial plan and it's basically just like a bullet point list of like some of the goals that we have in our life, some of the principles for how we're going to achieve the, how we want to achieve those goals, a little bit of an investment strategy and some of the applications that we use to track our money. That's really basically it. It's it's an Evernote document. We look at it once a year, say like, oh, we're on track or oops, we messed this thing up. 
Um, and it's really helpful to have like sort of a guidepost to sort of guide you, uh, something you can easily go back to. I, I love what you're saying there because Nicole and I have one and it's super low tech. It's a piece of paper with a line on it and we just have tick marks with our age. And it, we skip, it's like every five years and it just goes up until 60 or 70. All we do, do is we've written goals on it, call them financial goals, but like it's really all of our goals. Like sometimes it's like we want to have visited all seven continents by this point, which, you know, is not a financial goal, but it is. But we check in like you once a year, we'll go look at it and then we don't really change anything. It's just sort of like, oh, we made that one. We didn't do that one. We're, you know, let's move that one along. It just gives us not confidence, but it just, it's just a nice to have a goalpost where we are in our life. And, and that, you know, this is also sounding morbid talking about a will and all that, but it's like, we, you know, every, every year we're like, oh, we're closer. We're, we've moved along the path a little bit, <laughs> but, but it's also good to see how your goals change, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely great. And I, I find that the financial plan having that document is useful when times are hard, when like we have downtimes and when downturns and work and we're sort of like lost and we're like, uh Oh, what are we going to do for the next couple months? And referring back to that is helpful. It can be like, Oh yeah, these are our goals. This is how we're going to achieve it. it. It's helpful around there. And it, and it's helpful, frankly, like around, <laughs> uh, I, I tend to have a lot of time off around the holidays and over the summers. And usually those are periods of time where I'm like kind of dreaming about like, what do I want my next thing to be? Like, where, where do we want to go? What's the next sort of project to tackle? And having that financial plan to go back to is be like, oh, these are the goals that we talked about six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. It's nice to have a little bit of a refresher there as you're continuing to dream and imagine what's next. So. And I, I found it very helpful for 2020 and 2021, which were not good financial years for me. But when I look at the big picture of 60 years, I'm like, oh, you know, we're really not off track. It hurt us and put us back, et cetera, et cetera. But overall, we're still on track. We're still moving along. I, I love your three points. I also want to say your, your letter of instruction with the will, that is pretty great because we've mentioned having a will on here and the importance of it. I can't believe it's episode 100 and I haven't done an episode on wills because it's really important. Yeah. Um, but I love that letter of instruction of make the legal formal will and then provide a document to make it a little more accessible for whoever actually has to sift through it all. Yeah, I mean, that's my understanding of, or at least that's how we've geared our, the letter of instruction that we have is like, it's not a legal document. It's really just like a list of here's where the things are. And, and one of the things that I put in there too is just like, as of the date that I'm making this letter, like this is what the balances of those things are. Like a little bit of like, this is what my pension is. This is what my 401k says. Like if we work until we're, whenever we can draw social security, like this is how much we would be getting. Things like that, which like you don't have to put in a letter of instruction. I mean, you don't have to do anything, but you don't have to put that in a letter of instruction. I just found it useful if I'm not here that whoever's looking at it can be like, oh, okay, this is this is a sort of organized sense of like where we are financially. Um, Certainly helpful, if, particularly if you have a family. Uh, I think it's a pretty re it's responsible to have some sort of organized system um, to, to, to leave behind for your... Um, also, you sent a cheat sheet of sort of an overview of your financial personality, or can you talk us through that? So I start with business structure. A lot of people ask me, LLC, 10, you know, 1099, independent contractor, what's your situation? So I, I have a single member LLC for any of the 1099 work that I do. Um, so does my wife. Uh, so two separate LLCs, but they're both single member LLCs. So we file, we file one single um, personal tax return. And, and I just, I just want to point out the importance sort of, at least from my point of view, why you would want single members. Once, once you add a, a second member into an LLC, the taxes, AKA paying for an accountant, uh, adds up quickly. 
And so doing single members just means the taxes pass through and you really don't have to file differently than you anyone else would. That's entirely it. And and really the only reason that I I, I got my LLC several years ago and really the um uh, when we got our house and it was really just to set up some, some basic protections to separate my business finances from my personal lot from my personal finances. So a little bit of protection there, having an LLC, having an EIN that's associated with it. It just like gives some legitimacy to a business. If you've got some of the business structure that's set up behind it, you don't need an LLC to, to work on 1099, obviously, but I find that it's helpful. So when I work on 1099, it's usually, it's almost always going through the LLC. And when I work on W-2, which I do about half, about half and half, I have some, I have about half of my work is W-2, half is on 1099. When I'm on W-2, I'm just working as a individual, just, just boring old me. Uh, I'm in the union. I'm in the designers union, I should say. So I'm in uh, USA 29. Uh, I'm also a member of IATSE ACT. So that's the Associated Crafts and Technicians um, Guild Union. I'm not really sure. It's not a geographic local. ACT tends to be the union that touring personnel will join. Uh, for anyone who doesn't have like a permanent home local, ACT is a way to be a part of a local when you're kind of on the road or don't have a permanent address. In terms of assets that we have in our, we, we have a house. We uh, we have a, a small house in Portland. Um, we have a uh, some brokerage uh, investments, though really not that much. Uh, most of the investing that we've done, because I know from your perspective, if you're not investing, you're dying. I've I've heard it so many times. Hey, I'm, I as a as a Patreon, I'm I'm technically a producer. You told me I could be a producer. show. so you are 100. You know what? Your LinkedIn better say you're a producer. I'm just I'm just finance. towing the party line here. If you're not investing, you're dying. Most of our investment money is in a Roth IRA um, that I set up. Uh, long time ago. We also have 529 uh, college savings accounts for our kids. So that's just money that's get, getting saved for their college education. Um, we have some cash bank accounts. We use local credit unions um, just because we get the best service and the best sort of um, minuscule uh, <laughs> returns. Um, uh, I, keep, I keep thinking it's going to get better because, you know, the Fed is raising rates, right? So yeah. shouldn't the interest start to go up? I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to, but so far I have not seen in our bank account a difference. <laughs> I've had accounts with bigger banks before, and I just prefer the service of the local credit union. Ten, the rates tend to be better and you get more personal service and then your money is usually being spent in the community. So like, uh, we've got two cars. We bought them both used um, with a lot of miles on them, but they're perfectly useful for us. Um, and I've got a small 401k and a small annuity that's set up through USA 29, but I, I don't really do very much work with that. <laughs> okay. I love talking to you about this actually, because you don't mention the pension there, the USA 29 pension. Yeah, I, I do have it, but I, I don't see, that's the thing that's interesting about pension versus 401k. And I think annuity is that, um, I, I think the pension is something that I know I can't touch. Uh, I have no idea how my pension really works. I know that I'm vested and I know that I, I don't believe I can really touch that money until uh, until I retire. My understanding of my, particularly my Roth IRA, but I, if I was in dire straits, I could access some of that money myself. So I tend to think of that as like something that I could, I, there'd be a penalty associated with it. If I absolutely had to, it's there. I don't believe I can do that with the pension. So I tend to think of the pension as slightly separate. So so I don't have a 401k through the union because you have to set it, set it up separately. And I I already sort of like had my retirement plan figured out before I was in the union. And I was like, I'm not going to I'm not going to add another account here. The annuity, I do know, like you doing 
programming where they put me on an IATSE thing and that got me into the annuity. But if if a year goes by and you haven't touched it, you're allowed to roll it over into a different account if you want, like an IRA. I probably should. And I probably should have been a little bit smarter about the 401k because it was a union thing. I set it up the, for for my perspective, a 401k is not particularly useful unless you're going to get employee matching. And um, I would rather put my money, my invest, my retirement money in a Roth IRA than try to contribute to a 401k if I'm not going to get employee matching. I set up that 401k on a on a Broadway show that I was working on thinking it would be useful, but there wasn't employee matching. And so I think the advantage of it is that if you are on a Broadway show, et cetera, it's just money that goes out before you even see it. Yeah. Employee matching as a freelancer, you know, this is like a joke. You go online for financial advice and it says, make sure you're getting the match. And it's like, thank you. You know, I'm 12, 13, 15 years into my career, never had a match a single time. <laughs> like I just ignore that bullet point. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very unusual. Um, in my experience for producers to contribute matching funds to a 401k through the union, I, I haven't found too many artistic organizations that do um, any sort of 401k matching. So it's there. And then I actually want to point out the pension, which you don't mention, which is I am not vested in the pension. Um, I think this year I'm on track to get a vesting credit, but you have to do it for five years in a row in order to keep that vesting credit. So as you said, the walls are closing in on me, so I don't know (laughs) if I'll ever be vested. (laughs) But like you were saying, the pension is untouchable. So even once I get vested, I still can't do anything with it. It's locked up until retirement. And if you make it that far, then they'll start sending you a little bit of a check. Yeah. So, I mean, in in a way it's kind of nice because I don't have to really think about it very much. And I'm in the position where I got vested at some point, got vested. So now it's just a thing that's there that's available for me when I retire. And um, Also, Carl, I love that you're going through your assets and your liabilities here. No one has ever voluntarily done that. (laughs) I don't think this necessarily like has to be something that people need to be ashamed of or hiding from. Oh, no. So I think it's like, Absolutely I think not. it's useful to go through it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I want to ask a follow-up question on your assets before we get to your liabilities. Your home, do you have a mortgage on that or is it paid off? Yeah, no, so we, we took out a mortgage, but you know, we just have we just have the house that we live in. Uh, we were able to put some money down on it, um, which, was, which was good. Uh, we got a pretty good rate when we bought in 2014 and then we refinanced last year and got an even better rate. And so feeling glad that we did that because... I guess what you could have said in the intro was that uh, I think the Fed just hiked up interest rates up to like 5% or something like that yesterday or the day before or something like that. In the current environment, we feel good that we locked in a, a lower rate than that. So pertaining to that Fed hike, you have a 529 college savings account. We'll maybe talk about this later, but with the I bonds, which are the popular thing now, almost a 10% uh, return on them. One of the ways that I-bonds can be completely tax-free is if you hold them and then whenever you cash out or they reach maturity, you roll them over into a 529 plan. They're only tax-free if you put them toward education. So I'm just mentioning that to you because you have a 529 college savings account and maybe that is something you could consider or think about. Well, maybe we'll talk about I-bonds if we get to it. I, I was really curious about I-bonds um, and particularly after the, bond, after the bond episode. And I started doing some investigation into it and opted just to kind of like remove myself from it. Um, but if, if you have an ava- if you have available cash on hand, um, that is like your uh, emergency fund, something like that, like an I-bond is a great way to basically get a guaranteed return, like 
a, a nine or 10% return uh, if you keep it in there for up to a year and a little bit past that, you know, there's, there's some rules for withdrawals of bonds. After a year, you can pull it out, but it's, you get penalized. I think you have to hold it for three years and then you can pull it out penalty free with the interest, et cetera. You could put some money in there. And then after three years, you can treat it like the emergency fund because you can get it out. You can go out and get I-bonds. I think your partner can get I-bonds. I think if you have an LLC, you, the LLC can get I-bonds. So I think there's- Oh, I didn't know that. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. We don't know what we're talking about. We're just two fellas talking here. This not financial advice, but I'm pretty sure if you have an LLC that you can, that the LLC can buy a bond. So, but I don't know. I didn't do it. So there you go. Okay. All right. Now on to your liabilities. Yeah. So the mortgage, like we talked about, uh, I, I, we took out a, a HELOC, so a home equity line of credit. A couple of years ago, we, we thought we were going to do some work on the house. And so we thought it would be a good idea. And a HELOC is basically where you you take out an existing line of credit using the equity that you have in your house as collateral. So, it, so it's basically like a credit card. So they give you like $10,000 of a loan, but it just sits there not really existing. But if you want to use that $10,000, you can, and then you have to pay it back with interest. And then if you don't pay it back, I think then they can maybe take your house. I don't know. I mean, the advantage, <laughs> the advantage is that the interest rate tends to be a little bit lower than it's certainly a lot lower than credit than credit card debt than, than the interest rate on credit cards. It's a it's a cushion. It's something that's there if we need it. And that's kind of um, we decided to just keep it open. Uh, there's some fees involved in opening it up. So we just didn't want to just close it up right away. So we kept it around. That's available, but we have a zero balance on it. So we just sort of it just sits there. And then we have some credit cards uh, and we pay them off in full at the end of every month. So we don't carry any credit card debt. We we are in the um, very fortunate position where really the only um, liability we have is the mortgage on our house. Uh, I had some student loans coming out of school, um, about $20,000 of loans and paid it off, I don't know, five, six, seven years, something like that. We don't have any other loans at the at the moment. So some other things that I just throw in here, just so... Um, because this is kind of all wrapped up in sort of how we spend our money and the way that the way that that money gets allocated and sometimes protected is uh, I'd like to think of insurance as part of like our financial personality too. So like we have home ins we have homeowners insurance, we have car insurance. Obviously, I went out and purchased a twenty year term life insurance policy when we had our first son. Term life is basically just a. Uh, uh, it's it's open for whatever the term is. Um, and then at the end of the 20 years, in my case, at the end of the 20 years, if that policy hasn't been cashed in, the money just goes away. There's not, it's not saved for me in the future. Um, there are some different policies like whole life policies where it's invested for you. Is that term life like for the whole family? Is it just for you? Is it just for your son? It's, it, it, I, I took it out on myself. Um, and it basically is to benefit my family in the event that like in the next yeah, that I'm that I'm not that I'm not around. Got it. And, and may I ask, like, what does that cost a month? -ish? I don't know what it is a month. It's a it's like two hundred dollars a year, something like that, or three hundred dollars, something like that. Um, I I went and got just a, a quote at Policy Genius, and you know, again, don't work for them. I don't have an affiliate or anything like that. But but there there are a lot of these. They're a broker, and they basically just do a search of a number of different um, insurance companies. And so I got a good quote. It was for 20 years. It seemed like it was a good way to ensure that my family is financially taken care of if I'm not around. So so we have that. I, I, I carry some equipment insurance for my lighting gear. So I've got some lighting equipment, a light board, this sort of thing that I just have personally. Um, I occasionally rent it out. Um, so I carry just like a very minimal um, equipment insurance policy on it. It's called an inland marine policy. I have no idea why that's the case, but that's what that's what equipment insurance is called. It's totally bizarre and strange, but um, but I carry a little bit of that. 
And then I get health and dental insurance through through the union, through USA Nice, nice. I want to mention your insurance for lighting equipment. So Ethan Stimel owns some lighting equipment. My cherished possession is my <laughs> unique 2.1 Hazer, $2,500 if you go buy it. So I lent it out a month ago. It came back broken. <laughs> so I have to get it repaired. But Ethan does not have insurance on his lighting equipment. Carl, great idea for insuring your equipment. <laughs> it's, I mean, generally, like um, lots of times or or sometimes pieces of equipment that you own might be covered under your either renters or homeowners insurance policy. The reason why I went out and got separate insurance is that like the deductible for any of that stuff on homeowners and renters insurance is usually really high. And typically you can get a pretty like decent equipment insurance policy with a pretty low um, deductible to reach and insurance is tax deductible. So it's, it just kind of like, there's like a financial incentive just to just do it. it. It costs a little bit, but it's worth it if you get something back that's damaged or if something is stolen or things like that. Um, Okay. And the last part of your financial personality or picture. Yeah. Basically the last, there's like a little, there's like a couple little things. Um, there's some USA funds and benefits that are available through national benefits fund is what, what provides the health and dental insurance for, uh, for USA 29 members. Um, and some of the other benefits that they have, uh, there's the pension that we talked about earlier, but I separated this a little bit, uh, and then there's just social security benefits, which, um, you know, which uh, anytime you're working any sort of employment, if, if it's W-2, you're contributing to your social security and there'll be benefits for you waiting for you in retirement or, you know, sooner if, if you're in the situation where you pass away and your family needs access to that money, um, there can be uh, some social security benefits there. So that's kind of like the whole financial package there without any without any numbers attached to them. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. That's totally cool. Um, thank you for doing that. That was like that was great to see. Like I would call you an actual freelancer. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, and it's and it's great to get that that breakdown from somebody who doesn't have a steady W-2 paycheck and somebody who's in some union affiliations and does randomly have some lighting equipment and has a family. Like that's a very impressive thing. Married with cars and with children. Importance not in order there. And I'm actually really excited because you also have a Roth IRA story to share with us, which which uh, do tell, do tell. My Roth IRA experience, I, I was fortunate that I got into that I got into Ross super, super early. And and I know, as you've mentioned on the show before, as as early as you can get into Roth IRAs, the better, because you're you're taking advantage of the value of compound interest. I was really fortunate when I was in high school, my my guardians, so my my, my sister and brother-in-law raised me. My guardians basically made this ar- arrangement with me, which was that any money that I made starting in high school, so when I started getting like sort of my first paid job, they would match that money, give it to me as a gift. That money that I made would go directly into the Roth IRA, then those matching funds would be available for me to use. And basically it's a way for you to start saving for your retirement really early on, but then, you know, it was my first job. And so I wanted to be able to use that money that I was making. You can't contribute to a Roth IRA unless you're actually making money. You know, you might want to start a Roth IRA IRA for your kids super early on, but unless your child is working, maybe your child does some infant modeling or something like that, you can't actually contribute money into, into a Roth IRA unless, unless that individual is actually working. So I was in the situation where I started doing some regular work when I was in high school and the arrangement they made with me was any, any money up to that Roth IRA limit, uh, they'd match for me. And I didn't really appreciate it at the time. I was like, Oh, that's a, cool system, I guess. Like, I guess that's, that's helpful. I, I wasn't really thinking about my retirement when I'm in high school, 
they kept this up every year until I graduated college. So it was about eight years of that from like a life planning perspective. Like (laughs) now that I have some reflection on it, it's like one of the most valuable, both like in terms of like perspective, but also like just purely financially, it's like one of the most valuable gifts that I've ever received because it's like, I have this enormous head start on compound interest that started when I was 18. And now I just am also just comfortable contributing to my Roth IRA because I can see the value of how that's benefited me over time. So it was, it was just like a great practice. And it was the kind of thing that like, it's, it's advice that I would give to other parents saying like, if you want to sort of help your kid begin to think about retirement uh, when they're young, it's like, that's a great strategy to help them, to help them start to learn about the value of compound interest and the value of saving for retirement as early as possible. So um, I was really fortunate to have that. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love that. I think it's so great because it's like, you know, parents and guardians are always trying to sort of incentivize their children to take care of, you know, to sort of be mindful about money or save for retirement. And they're always looking for like, you know, take the chores out, we'll give you an allowance. I think the incentive of matching retirement contributions, one, is a huge incentive for a match. And two, it gets it into the right account. It's it's there's no risk of it being pulled out or anything like that. So I absolutely love that. And I not a parent yet, no plans to be a parent yet. If and when that happens for me, I want to remember this and I want to be like, okay, incentivize the match and figure it out because I, 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 I just love that. I love that story. I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah, it just, I, and, and you know, and I, I, I don't know where some of my financial habits came from, but I think that like, you know, around that time, that sort of like middle school, high school, college, like you're starting to learn your fine. You're starting to learn about what it is to be responsible with money. Right. I mean, that's, that's around the time when, when, kids are learning that some, some kids learn that at much sooner. Some kids wait until much later, but generally that's around the age where you're learning how to be responsible with money. And to me, this was like this really valuable gift that my family gave to me of just sort of teaching me the value and the importance of this. Um, and, and then allowing me sort of like, kind of like a running start to contribute to it, um, on my own once, you know, once I was out into the professional world, I, I didn't really know that this was a thing that you could, you could do. And, uh, the more I sort of looked into it, the more I see like, oh, there are lots of parents who actually kind of do this for their kids. They, they kind of do this sort of match program. Um, and, and I, I just think it's a great way to teach, to teach kids the value of money. I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. And just to reemphasize why a Roth IRA, and by the way, I'm saying IRA, you're saying IRA, it's the same thing. Just, But again, why it's so good is that the Roth, you're paying the taxes now, but you don't have to pay those taxes when you pull out the money in retirement. You could do the exact same matching incentive program with a regular IRA, a traditional. Presumably, if you're starting them young, they have zero income or very low income to put in. And so the taxes are going to be so minuscule at that point, it's the perfect time to take advantage of a Roth IRA. So I I love that part of it. If you're not in a position to match, you can also just mention a Roth IRA to a youngster. Because my uncle, when I was in college, I went to visit him and he said, oh, you have a Roth IRA. And I said, say what? And he said, oh yeah, Roth IRA, blah, 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 blah. He didn't match anything for me. He didn't help me set it up. He just mentioned it to me. Miraculously, I caught on and I looked into it and then I said, oh, yeah, I got to open this up. And I did. Yeah. I mean, and, and the other thing that I really appreciate about having some some funds in a Roth IRA is that you, you can move that money around into different funds within the Roth IRA without any 
tax penalties. So, you know, you can rebalance every year if, if you like a certain fund or you don't like some fund or you want to be more aggressive or you want to be more um, conservative, like you can move this money around because you're not paying taxes on it. It all just stays within the fund. It, it really allows you the opportunity to sort of like, I don't want to say like play with it because you, you really should be making like informed decisions, but you can try things out in a Roth and you don't have to worry that like in a traditional brokerage account, like, oh, you're going to have to pay a bunch of taxes at the end of the year. Or like, oh, there's going to be all these forms and you're going to have to, you know, call your broker. Or you're going to have to do these kinds of things. Typically with like the online dashboards, like, oh, I want to try this out or, oh, I want to see what happens when I do something in here. And, and I think that's a really valuable component of like, having a Roth IRA with a lot of funds available to you um, within the within that plan. It's a benefit to that uh, to, that gives you some freedom to sort of move your money around and plan your retirement in the way you want to, you know? <laughs> I love that. Episode 100, and we're still learning about benefits of a Roth IRA. <laughs> <laughs> New things. <I> <laughs> um, okay, all right. Well, you know I could talk about Roth IRAs forever. Clearly, so can I. <laughs> yeah, you could too. Everybody should open one up. Um, Let's talk about Dave Ramsey. Uh-oh. <laughs> because uh, we did an episode on Dave Ramsey. Thank you, Greg Ludlow, for explaining all that to us. Um, it was educational for me because I didn't know all of those steps. And I do think there is some merit in the steps, you know, things like save money and pay in cash sometimes. <laughs> but you sent me a really long message after that episode. <laughs> <laughs> and this is potentially before it even made the air. This could have been the Patreon episode you had listened to. Your message was you said you were driving to work or you were driving somewhere and you were yelling at the steering wheel because you were so animated about what was being said and you didn't really agree with it. I'm, I'm just wondering if I can ask you uh, about your reaction to that episode and, and why you think this way. I've approached my career with this kind of, with a real eye towards like diversity of interest, you know, like I've, I've, I've worked in a lot of different fields, you know, it's like, I do, I do lighting, but I also do other things. I do plays, I do musicals. I do, those have been choices that I feel like I've, I've been fortunate enough to be in a position to make. And I've been, I've tried to be in control of the decisions that I try to make. And, and I think one of the frustrating things that I found about my experience of hearing about the Ramsey methods and, and reading a little bit about it is that it just, it's, it's very rigid in, in its structure. And, and I can appreciate for people who are in financial trouble or who have, who, who or who have not had um, strong financial models might be just in, might be lost financially. I can, I can appreciate that those rules exist uh, to benefit that, that kind of position. I, I totally get that. And so I think for some people, Ramsey could be super effective I just find for me, it's like when I hear some of the steps and some of the things like do this before that, I'm just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, we were just talking about retirement. Like you wait until step four to start saving for your retirement. It's just like, ah, I could not disagree with that more. Like it's just to me, that's like bonkers because it's just like some people can't can't do it before that. And I, you know, again, it's like I don't want to sound like I'm being judgmental. And I, I also recognize that like. I'm coming from a place of like, I've had a lot of luck. I've had a lot of privilege. And so like, there's, there are ways in which like my perspective on this is, might be different, but I, I just do think it's like, it's, it's super important to, to, to be saving for your retirement before you get to that step four, you know? And, and, and I, I will, I will point out that of course you're okay with everybody has a different journey, different things work for different people, but freelancer to freelancer, we have to think differently than somebody with a, 
a steady paycheck. That's and it. so I, th I think a lot of our opinions are sort of grounded very strongly in that because we've been having to figure out this journey the whole time. So I think that's sometimes why we have such a maybe a disagreement <laughs> where it's like, like, why am I saying it's crazy? Because it's like, well, you know, let people do what they want to do. And, and we're happy for that. But it's also like, are you serious? If I would never survive if I did it that way. And, and I think that and you're totally right. I mean, the way that particularly the way that the, the U.S. government is set up and the way that employment in the in the U.S. works, if you're a freelancer, if you work mostly on 1099, if you don't have a regular employer, nobody else is caring about this for you. You know, like if you have a regular employer, like they might have a retirement plan, you might be paying into a 401k, there might be some things set up where you don't have to think about this very much. But as an independent contractor, as a as someone who, who works freelance, like you have to be your own best advocate for this. And if, and if you're not paying attention to it, then you're going to get to a place where you uh, don't want to or can't work anymore. And if you don't have anything to draw, draw on, then you know, you're setting yourself up for some potentially difficult, potentially difficult series of events in the future. And so that's, I think it's particularly true for freelancers like, like us, and like probably a lot of the listeners to your show, um, that it's important to be able to pay attention to this while you're young, because if you can take advantage of compound interest when you're young, before you have a lot of responsibilities like a house or family, if you can do some of those, if you can take some of those steps early on, they can benefit you enormously in the future. And just a reminder that that step four is when you start saving for retirement. And the first three steps are about saving three to six months of living expenses and paying off all your debts. And so Carl and I sort of feel like, well, that could take a long time. Like that could take, let's say that could take 10 years. I think it's unwise to not save for retirement for 10 years as you're trying to pay off debt. But again, it's like the thing that's so hard about being critical of it is like, but you really should be paying off your debt. I mean, it's like, that's not wrong. You should be paying off your debt. It's just like, I, I guess the rigid structure of like, do this, then do that, then do that. To me, I just find that a little hard to stomach. And so to me, it's like, you should, you probably should be paying off your debt. I, I think I definitely, uh, and particularly if it's credit card debt, but I think it, it's just important not to delay the retirement savings until you're, if you're going to wait to contribute to your retirement until all of your debt is managed, like you're probably waiting too late if you're a freelancer. And, and I'm, I'm going to say, I do understand why the steps are so rigid. It gives such confidence. Step one, step two, step three. And there's no thinking. There's nothing. You just know that if I do this, I will be good. And that that it's true. And it's the same reason why if you go to Dunkin Donuts, you can't customize your order, <laughs> <laughs> which which is like drives me crazy because it's like, well, OK, I can say up to six creams. I can't say, you know, a little less ice or a little whatever. And the reason is because it's just more efficient. It's just easier for Dunkin to say, look, we can churn out 100 of these in 10 minutes. But if you customize and you require that brain power from our people to sort of look and figure out what you want, then the system breaks down. And so I do understand why these steps are so rigid, but I am with Carl on that. Mm, not for me. <laughs> well, and if it was just that one, you know, if it was just like retirement, I'd be like, okay, well, maybe I'm different. But it was just like, I think the reason why I was having a little bit of frustration while I was driving is like, it was that one. And then it was like the the strategy with emergency funds, for example, is like, you know, it, it's, you can have a more nuanced approach to saving, to, to putting money away for an emergency than just like dumping six months of living expenses into a vanilla savings account, earning I can see that that's valuable for some people. And, and I've had conversations with people who are like, 
I'm okay that my money is sitting in a bank account and losing money with inflation. I'm okay with that because it's it's super, uh, it gives me peace of mind that I always have it and it's always available to me. If that's your perspective on it, like more power to you. That's great. I, I don't like losing money with inflation. I would like to find a better way to use that, you know? And so, and I also think your emergency fund strategy should change as you, as your financial situation does. So like when I started out, when I was, when I was in New York, um, CDs were uh, certificates of deposit were earning pretty good rates of return. And so I set up what's called a CD ladder. Basically every month I would set up a CD that would mature in either a year or two years. And I did that every month until I got to whatever, a year or two years. And then from that, from that point forward, every month, one of the CDs that I set up a couple, you know, whatever, a year or two before would mature. And then I just roll that into a new CD. And it basically just set up this ladder where it was certainly better than inflation. And it was just a system set up to be accessible to me if I needed it. That was a better system than putting money in a savings account, losing money. It's the same thing as saving for an emergency fund. It's the same thing. The money's still there. You're setting it up so that you can access it as needed. But it's better than just sitting there uh, doing nothing. So, but but it's it's the, so it's the same thing, just different. Right. Yeah. And so it, and and then and the reason why I sort of bring that up is like I did that when I was first starting out, and you know probably the first CDs that I was setting up wasn't a full month of living expenses. You know, it was just what I could put away. But it gradually grew over time, and it, like that worked for me until the rates started getting really pretty bad. You know, there was a big financial downturn. So I was like, okay, well, like that didn't, didn't seem like, you know, CDs were earning the best rate of return. So then I put some money in like bond index. I had started doing, I had started doing some planning and my like brokerage thinking and investigation of like where, what makes sense. And so I put some money in a bond index and it felt like I was at least making a better return than inflation. And so like, that was a valuable place for me. It was also by putting it in a, in technically an investment account, it was outside of my normal bank account. And so I didn't feel the temptation that like, oh, anytime times are tough and I want to go buy 10 donuts at Dunkin' Donuts, like I can just go grab some of that money from my from my emergency fund by putting it in a bond index. It's like, okay, well, it's tied up somewhere. If I need to go get it, if I really have a medical emergency or something like that, like I can go get it. But there's like, there's some friction set up there when it's set up in a different account. And to me, that was valuable, you know, did that for a while. And then like, you know, when we bought a house, we used a different strategy. Now we kind of, you know, we have some different strategies with how we think about emergency funds now. I, I think that like, it's just important to like, allow yourself to grow and change your strategy when it comes to emergency funds and not just be locked into this, like six months living expenses in an account. Don't think about it. I, I, just... I, I love that you're giving these opinions because I, I share a lot of this with you and I don't always express it. Like I don't always say this. So I'm, I'm really glad to get this perspective. I disagree with one thing. You said you would be tempted to go buy 10 Dunkin' Donuts. Carl, nobody buys 10 donuts. You buy a dozen or a half oh, dozen. Oh, yeah, sorry. You don't buy 10. Are you crazy? <laughs> Baker's dozen? Can I get 13? I don't know. What, 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 what... No, they don't do Baker's dozen oh, there. Again, you so cannot rigid. customize anything at Dunkin' Donuts. Ugh. It's, I've been I've been out of New it's York too long. Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts is the Dave Ramsey of donuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ooh. Is, that the, um, is that the title of this episode? Yeah, we're gonna make T-shirts. <laughs> no, no, I won't use his name. All right, and um, I'm sure there's like a whole credit card thing that we could go down. I know you've had a lot of guests on talking about credit cards, so it's like, but I to me, it's like I I think I have pretty good credit card discipline. So to me, I trust myself to be able to manage credit cards effectively. If if you have trouble with that. 
Yes, 100%. Like, don't go take out credit cards, use cash envelopes. Like, everybody's going to be different when it comes to this, you know, obviously. Yeah, and, and this is, I, as you know, I am anti-credit oh, card. Oh, I know. Rewards. Oh, I know. I've, I've heard the episodes. <laughs> I thought I've been pretty mild about it, but apparently my opinion has come across. <laughs> so we're recording this before last week's episode came out, so you haven't heard it yet. But it is finally, we got a credit card rewards in a positive light. We got to episode 99, and I learned some things about credit card rewards and points, and I'm actually turning around a little bit. Okay. And I want you to hear it because I know you're going to have some reaction. And you're, of course, going to send me a message that says, yes, and what about XYZ, XYZ? <laughs> I, I look forward to it. I mean, one of the things we didn't say at the beginning is that, like, you and I first connected on LinkedIn. I was inspired to revisit my LinkedIn account after listening to your, your conversation with Don Chang. And so I was like, okay, I'll come back to LinkedIn. I'll do a little bit of work on it. You're the only real contact I have on LinkedIn or that I that I communicate with on a, on a regular basis. Um, I don't think I am doing all the steps properly of like, you know, the social media steps in LinkedIn, but I, it is sort of like my like Ethan channel. <laughs> it's like, it's LinkedIn. <laughs> That's basically what that's turned into. And so it's, uh, so I, I look forward to a long LinkedIn message. And, and I love that you were re-inspired by that episode because there was, there was no more joy than when I was in the LinkedIn class and somebody in my class messaged me and said, hey, I'm here because I heard about it on your episode. That was like amazing to me. <laughs> that was a great conversation with Dawn. I think she did some like really excellent work, like advocating for this really strong points of, of, of LinkedIn. And so I think that's like that's helpful to have a, a, a guide in that in that sense. And then also to have done the class that you did. So we've almost reached two hours here. I got to let you go. Is there anything that you want to say and include in this episode that we haven't covered? As a freelancer with a family, I, I think if I were to say like three things to another colleague who like had a family, was pursuant, was, you know, was working in the arts and was curious about financial matters, making some sort of a financial plan and being forgiving to yourself about what that is. It can be very simple. It can be very complex. It can be whatever you want it to be, but making some sort of financial plan is really valuable. It's important to keep good records and whatever that means for you. So if it's all digital, great. Just make sure you're trying to back, you make sure you're backing things up, um, making, make sure you're just keeping good track of where all the assets are and where all the liabilities are. And like, for me, like that letter of instruction or the, uh, and the process of making a will is a really good document for me just to know that all that stuff is there. So having some sort of a, a record keeping system is really important. One thing that I will point out that I didn't quite realize until recently that um, if you go to ssa.gov, if you go to the Social Security Administration, you can look back at your history of earnings over the course of you know, your working life back to, you know, your first jobs, as long as it was on, as long as it was employment, you can see, you can get an estimate of what your anticipated social security might be when you retire. Now, of course, we have no idea what's going to happen to social security. So you really shouldn't depend on it, but you can get some estimate there. So, yeah. SSA.gov. You can go look, no matter what your, your age are, if you have filed one tax return, but you can go create an account. But yeah, you can go see it, but you can do this at any age. So you can be 21 and do it. I was able to go back and see, you know, what was the first year of income coming in. And like, there are some tools there, which is surprising that the government actually gives you some, some useful tools. So I would say keep good records um, and be your own best advocate. 
Nobody's going to care more about your life and priorities than you do. A bank or credit card doesn't really care about you. Like, you know, there are all these different, you have to watch out for yourself. You have to make sure you're taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your family. And this extends to, we didn't talk about tax preparation, but this extends to a little bit of my perspective on like why I do, why, why we do our own taxes. And we don't off, we don't offload that to somebody else. Cause like I approach it with a really in looking at the details really meticulously. And I know that if I hired out, I've had some bad tax preparers who just overlook stuff because they're, they're, I'm a client to them. I'm not their brother. Uh, I'm a client. They're not personally invested in my, fi- in my financial life. They're, they're financially invested, but they're not emotionally invested in it. It's important to approach a lot of the, the, the choices that you make financially with an eye to like, y- you have to watch out for yourself. You have to be your own best advocate. I mean, I, I love that. And you have said a lot of good stuff, like a lot of good stuff. <laughs> and I actually want to point out that the be your own advocate is the best thing you've said. Like if you take one thing away from this episode, it is be your own advocate, which we all know, but let us, you know, nail that home, nail that in. You have to be your own best advocate. Literally, the government could care less. To the government, which by the way, is an imaginary thing just made up of people and system. It's an imaginary thing. Uncle Sam is not a real person. It's a description of an idea. You are just a piece of paper. You're just a social security number. And this is not something to be sad about. This is not morbid or depressing. It's just the reality of the government doesn't care. And your family cares, but they can't do it for you. You have to be your own advocate. Anytime you have a question that you don't know, you have to go look it up. Feel free to message me. Feel free to message Carl. We'll help you get the answer, but we can't do anything for you. It's a lot of work. Like it takes a lot of work to do this. Like last week's episode on credit card rewards, we were saying, you know, how did you know to do this? John was like, well, I put a lot of time into it. I put a lot of effort. And so if you listen to that episode, you'll get some shortcuts. But the reality is if you want to take advantage of your own rewards, you have to go do it. And so this being your own advocate is why this show exists to provide information to help us find where we can find the information. But you got you have to do it. Carl, I, I, I'm just reemphasizing that point of it. That is such an important one. It's a good, it's an important point to nail home. It's something, it's a way that I approach a lot of the choices that I feel like I make and it's valuable for all the reasons you, you just articulated. So, okay. And then one last thing, which you mentioned, you file your own taxes. So another thing I learned myself from the show is that when I put that poll out, you know, how much do you pay for filing taxes? I found that a third of freelancers are filing their own taxes. I've never filed my own taxes. But I gather all the information and I I know I could do it. I think you could. And well, I'm sure that you could. Uh, And you gave some great resources. There were some there were a lot of things that I learned from either the episode or the special features on that one where there was a lot of the free file resources that are available. I didn't know that a lot of those exist. I just sort of assumed that I would have a level of complication that would be beyond what those free services would offer. But I guess not. No, this year we paid $750 to file our taxes. We're comfortable with that. But like you said, we have had problems with this CPA, who's great. If you're listening, love you, Elton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) But there was a situation where a mistake was made. A simple mistake, but a simple mistake in IRS terms is months of drain on our lives. It was sorted out by us, not by our tax preparer. 750 is like, it's an okay number for me, but I'm gathering all the information I know I could do it. Think about how much energy you put in categorizing your expenses. If you don't have an accountant and you do all that categorization yourself, I would argue that you are doing most of the work of what a CPA does. Now, I I know I'm probably going to get a lot of CPAs angry at me about that. I am positive 
that if I brought in a CPA, I'm sure that they would get me a higher tax return than I currently file. I'm sure that that's, I'm sure that there are things that I'm missing. I guarantee that that's the case. But I also think most of the work that I'm doing is work that I would have to be doing on my own. I know that's true because when I, when I had CPAs, I would have to do a bunch of this work and then I would take it to them and they would punch it into their keyboards and then they would get a certain number. If I'm going to do a lot of this work anyway, I might as well just finish it out, do the TurboTax myself, be in control of the process, do it on my own time and pay a smaller ta- tax bill. That's, that's my approach to it. I think if I made more money or if I didn't have, if I didn't manage my finances myself, if I had an accountant, I probably would have a CPA, but in the situation that I'm in, I, I don't know. I find that filing myself is, is, is efficient and I'm, I'm happy with, with the results. I, I completely agree with you and I'm happy to make CPAs mad at me. And Carl, you have some great book and resource recommendations. I really want to get into them, but we've gone way too long. You'll be back. We will get those recommendations at some point in the meantime. Where can people connect with you and who do you want connecting with you? I have a website, carlfaber.com. Um, uh, that is kind of the dashboard to all of the different things that I do. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. And in terms of the people that I would want reaching out to me, I mean, I, I, I would love to connect with anyone, anyone who has thoughts or feelings about some of the stuff that I said here. I mean, I, I love working with students. I take mentoring really seriously. So if there's anybody who's interested in lighting um, or, or this field, I'd be happy to talk to them about it. On the purely work-related side, like as a lighting designer, as you know, Ethan, like I get most of my work from producers, directors, and scenic designers. So if any of you are out there listening, I, I am I am available. And if Carl's not available, Ethan is available. We're we're sort of a team thing. Either one of us is roughly the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Everybody can visit Carl's LinkedIn, but specifically, I shared an article that you wrote about the cost of EV vehicles, buying used versus buying new. It's a really good article and it just details your sort of what you bought and how much you saved in gas and paid for electric and the used you bought used versus new. So it's a really short article and it's really good. Um, so anybody can can visit Carl's LinkedIn or my LinkedIn. I'll put it in the show notes. All right. Okay. And last thing, and this is because I don't always get to talk to patrons directly. So I got to say it, Carl. Thank you so much for being a patron. It, it really does mean the world to me. It's my pleasure. And I think it's something that I find it exciting that we're sort of in a place uh, in in the sort of media environment where you can directly support work that you find is appealing and you find is important. It's my pleasure to support your show. And my wife and I, we support a couple other a couple other arts organizations through Patreon. And, and it's just, it, it's really valuable to us that we can do that. So thank you for setting it up. It's my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and and the fact that you're a freelancer, I'd say about half my patrons are freelancers. It's just very special to me to know that a a freelancer is one, organized enough with their finances to be able to do it. Then on top of that, to open up a Patreon account and support others. And then three, just know that their, their income, while variable, is at least stable enough that they can do it. Um, and it, it just so I, I just love it. So thank you so much. Well, well, I definitely took advantage of of the other fee for listening, uh, which is to recommend it, uh, recommend it to friends. I tried, I did that uh, many times before I became a patron, but um, but it's a pleasure. It's a great show. I love it. Oh, thank you for mentioning that fee. <laughs> okay, all right, Carl. Thank you so much. Um, we'll we'll have you back one day. But thank you, thank you. Looking forward to it. See you on uh, number two hundred. <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. <laughs> That's it for episode 100. My takeaways are personalcapital.com is a free and comprehensive way to get a picture of your finances. Wills are important. And specifically, add a letter of instruction 
to make things easier. Financial plans. They can be easy. No need to complicate it. And remember, your financial life is also your life. And my last takeaway, Roth IRA matching. What a fantastic idea to incentivize young people into starting retirement savings. So, did you learn anything today? Did you learn anything from our first 100 episodes? Find me and Carl on LinkedIn. I'll create a post for this episode, and please comment there what you've learned about the show. If you are a patron, this show is dedicated to you. Check out the bonus episode where Carl and I discuss bonds, reverse budgeting, and a big tip for young theater designers. If you're a young designer and you want to hear the bonus episode without becoming a patron, message me and I'll share that with you for free. In addition to celebrating our patrons today, I'd like to give a shout out to one of our 30 artists that we're supporting. One of those is lighting designer Mike Wood, who is constantly putting out educational materials for other designers, from magic sheets to paperwork to a monthly hangout. If you've considered joining Patreon to support creators like Mike or like Artistic Finance, now is a good time to create an account. We would absolutely love to have you join up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. Thanks for listening and for getting us to episode 100. That's it for today. Until next week, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.